making sure that people stay with your organization, that you have that feeling of belonging, that you create that excitement at the purpose of kind of like building something bigger than, than yourself is so important. And a lot of organizations really struggle with that. And I think that is what really changed and what's causing the great resignation. Not so much that uh, kind of like now everybody's doing remote work, but people sit at home and think, hey, what do I want to do with my life? Hey there, it's Christian, and you're listening to a special Better Product series. We're on episode three of our newest series, Power to the People Ops, PPOPs for short. This is our exploration of the growing shift from HR tech to people ops products and how these products are empowering companies to create cultures that invest in their employees. Some of the companies most affected by this shift are global talent and recruitment firms. So Megan is bringing us an interview with someone who's handled this adjustment personally, Tim Prohm of Kelly. Tim and the Kelly team have embraced product thinking to be more responsive to today's challenges. They're also bringing people ops into focus for their customers. And as we'll hear from Tim, the stakes are high for employers who fail to respond. We're at a critical moment as people around the world seek new remote opportunities and the companies who don't attract and retain talent with a people-first culture are going to struggle. Tim shows us how people ops products can help. He's the VP of Kelly X Digital Innovation Lab, and he's going to start by walking us through his journey to the product world. So thanks for joining us, Tim. Yes, Megan, thanks for having me on the Better Product Podcast. I'm really, really excited. I listen to the show on a regular basis, and uh, I'm very, very happy to be here today. Yeah, and just kind of like for introduction's sake, uh, I am German. I'm located in Germany, and my background um, actually didn't start in the product world. I have a business degree that I pursued early in my career, worked in different roles as product manager, but very, very soon kind of like landed in the services industry. I think this is something where in the beginning, there wasn't really that perception of services also being products. Um, and the reason is that kind of like it's not something tangible. A lot of people think, hey, the product is something you need to be able to touch and feel and experience. But realistically, kind of like the perception has changed in a lot of organizations in this space because a lot of services today have a very, very strong digital component. So kind of like to make a long story short, when I started the journey, it was all about service. But the more technological advancements came into play, the more I realized, hey, this needs to be in close lockstep. This needs to happen kind of in a joint fashion. And this is when I said, hey, we need to think about product more holistically in our industry. And this is when I started to really develop that, that product kind of like mindset, that product kind of like development uh, approach, and really started to do a lot of, kind of like research, did a lot of, uh, kind of like learnings around that, that topic. And it was really, really helpful, insightful um, for me personally. So kind of like non-traditional starter in the industry, let's call it that, but, but uh, kind of like learned a lot over the last couple of years. We do actually hear that. Uh, I feel like a lot of people in product get their start in something like services or, or customer service or interacting with people because it does take a product professional knowing how people work and how they think to really be able to succeed. So that it sounds non-traditional, but it makes a ton of sense in my opinion. Can you tell us then a little bit more about your current role and about Kelly as a company and, and what brought you there? Absolutely, absolutely. So Kelly Services is one of the 
like inventors of staffing services. 75, almost 76-year-old company, kind of like out of Detroit, Michigan in the United States. And we've been providing staffing services for many, many years, 75, as I said. So the traditional focus of Kelly has always been connecting talent with work and the claimist in ways that enrich their lives. So really making sure that we connect kind of like employees, applicants with, uh, with employers. I joined the organization around six years ago. I've been in that industry for 20 years now. And my first role was to say, hey, we have traditional solutions where we do outsourcing of recruitment services for our clients. How can we be more strategic? What's the global strategy for that? How does technology come into play? How does digital come into play when we're providing the solutions? And this is then when, for Kelly, um, the product thinking really, really emerged. Um, and this is what I've been what I've been doing. So I started out with permanent recruitment, focusing on the solutions we have. And then kind of like three years ago, I did a full-time or I changed my job to become a full-time job focused on digital product development. Because um, what's happening in our industry today and in a lot of service industries is that it's not about the human interaction anymore. So even if you think about a restaurant, for example, you might have that human interaction with the waiter, with the person who's greeting you, putting on the table, but there's more, there are more and more digital touch points, and that is something that we see as a bundle. So the experience of the solution of the product is not limited to that personal interaction anymore, but it's also inclusive of the digital experience, and this is what makes it a product, and this is what we then applied, actually, in a lot of Kelly products that we've, that we've developed. And what we've done now, and that's like the last step of the journey for now, for me personally, is that we said, hey, we need to be more innovative about how we try things. Let's think through approaches to do more rapid prototyping, getting user feedback much faster in the process, thinking much more aggressively about the user experience and the user journey, and then building products around that user journey requirements of our stakeholder groups. And I think this is now the next level when it comes to productizing ideas in the services industry that we can go to market faster, we can solve challenges for our customers, for talent much, much faster. And this is now where like the product development approach really has matured over the last year for Kelly Services. That's very cool. That sounds pretty familiar to me. We work with a lot of companies that are tech-enabled services, as they call them. So their solution in the end is some combination of a service that involves interacting with another person and then that digital software touch point as well. So this is the people ops series, and it sounds like you're going to have a lot to say on the topic. What would you say in your opinion or in your experience, what do you think is that difference between people operations and HR? And how does that distinction impact work at a talent services company like Kelly? I think it has a great impact for Kelly, and it should have a greater impact for all organizations across the globe. But for me personally, um, kind of like it really opened my eyes when I read Laszlo Bach's book, <laughs> kind of like Work Rules. Actually, the person who framed that 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 uh, that terminology, because it really kind of like showed you that traditional people processes were very very static, very very bureaucratic. HR not people operations, HR in the old world, was very much focusing on compliance. It was very much focusing on traditional administrative, sometimes bureaucratic processes, just making sure everything is okay, everything is getting tracked and recorded, an organization is operating in a compliant way. But there was never really a strong focus 
on the actual experience and the needs of the users, the employees, the managers in the organization, or even the customers if they interact with the personnel of the organization. And I think that is something that really changed over the last years where a lot of traditional HR practitioners now start to realize that there's a reason that they're not having a seat on the table when it comes to the big strategic discussions. But now with the new concepts and the tools and the experiences we have available as organizations uh, when it comes to people operations, now all of a sudden you can have a much, much stronger impact. And the workforce is so critical today that like, you need to have a strong focus on it. Because otherwise, as an organization, you can even fail. If you're not able to retain or attract critical talent in your organization, or if you lose talent just because you don't have the right processes, you don't have the right journey in place, and you don't have the right technology to support them. So um, it's really changed over the last years. And that's been a really big theme recently with what they're calling the great resignation. People are frequently changing jobs or choosing to work for themselves they're seeing that they have more options and that they are looking for companies that are doing the things like you're saying, being a little bit more human and putting people first, essentially. And at Kelly, I know you've witnessed this impact firsthand. I'm wondering how the movement has affected some of your recent product and brand decisions. So how has Kelly had to change how it markets itself to potential talent at a time like this? So... I think a lot happened for everybody in the industry. And when you think about, had we had this conversation two years ago, probably we thought, hey, there's that this thing coming out of, um, there's this thing coming out of Asia. <laughs> so and uh, it's a regional problem. But all of a sudden, COVID hit all of us. And then we really had a lot of issues adjusting to the new norm. And a lot of organizations really, really struggled to make sure that they would able, be able to support remote work, that they would keep their um, employees engaged. A lot of employees who couldn't go to the office anymore had to work from their dining room table, which is also not ideal, but this is really something that, that happened over the last year. So kind of like what we realized as an organization is that traditional processes in the HR space don't really support um, remote working models. If you are dependent on somebody coming in to provide paperwork, or if you rely on somebody being on site to access a specific system, then you're having a problem. It doesn't really work uh, from a tech perspective. And this is where a lot of organizations, including Kelly, really had to revamp the tech stack and really understand what are the processes, what are the technologies that we're bringing in to make sure we support our we support our employees during these times of remote work. The additional thing I want to mention here is the great resignation. I think it's a great. What I feel is that now because of the remote work arrangements, a lot of workers have been working in, all of a sudden they realize, hey, if I change my employer today, what's actually going to change? I'm going to get a new laptop from UPS. <laughs> I have no, new colleagues. I'm still going to use Zoom. I'm uh, kind of like still going to be in my same office, but I work for another company who probably pays me better, who probably provides better benefits. So making sure that people stay with your organization, that you have that feeling of belonging, that you create that excitement at the purpose of kind of like building something bigger than, than yourself is so important. And a lot of organizations really struggle with that. And I think that is what really changed and what's causing the great resignation. Not so much that uh, kind of like now everybody's doing remote work, but people sit at home and think, hey, what do I want to do with my life? And it sounds like I'm going to throw HR a bone here because it sounds like they had kind of been trying to create that for a while. Like they've been asking to be in those strategic conversations and do a little bit more than compliance and 
there just wasn't really the opportunity or, or the space for them to be able to do that until now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Even even before the pandemic, I had a lot of conversation with organizations who were heavily using contingent labor. They were tapping into freelancers. They used the gig economy. They would bring temporary labor on. And a lot of conversations we had, I thought like, wow, through the lens of this person, contingent labor, flexible labor is a commodity. And I was thinking that this is something that's destined to fail because as the workforce compositions change and we're shifting more towards flexible work arrangements, all of a sudden, a lot of great talent will be available in this work arrangement. HR, um, again, not doing HR bashing here, but was very often not involved in these conversations. It was procurement organizations who were driving these conversations. And I think because of COVID, all of a sudden companies realize that the workforce strategy needs to be holistic. And I think now it's the opportunity for HR to come back and talk about the holistic workforce strategies. And I think this can be an advantage for uh, is HR as well, if you're not along uh, far enough on the people operations journey. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So then when these companies, whether it's they've established people ops and now they're looking for solutions or it's HR trying to, to innovate, what do people operations products need to have to serve teams well? I think the, the one core differentiator for me personally, is, is, is really aggressive and very, very clear user centricity. Because when you take a look at products that we are using in the HR space in an organization, a lot of products were not made with the end user in mind. They were thought about, like you think about the process, hey, we need to make sure we have compliance, they, we need to have 10 approvals. And at the end of the day, it was always burdensome for a lot of users in the organization to interact with these with these software products. And um, Josh Burson is always good to quote somebody else <laughs> smarter than me in these sessions. He at some point talked, started to talk about the overwhelmed employee. And I really that really resonated with me because today... If you're working in a corporate organization, you as a employee, you interact with so many different systems. Start with, I apply for a job, I need to go to the career page, I need to fill in my, my information, but then you need to get onboarded, you need to uh, kind of like submit your PTO request, you have healthcare topics, you have like payment payslip topics you need to verify. And usually it's all different systems. And I think this is something where a lot of organizations don't really think through the lens of their user. How can I make the manager's life better? Is there a way to kind of like eliminate certain steps? Is there a way to bet better interfaces? Kind of like what is the ideal UI going to look like? And I think this is where new solutions and new systems can really make a difference. And I think you hit on a theme that we're, we're hearing pretty often in these people ops conversations, which is it's not just the building culture or compliance or all of that. It is truly thinking about what will make your employees' lives better, whether that's through their operations and how they manage their day-to-day, -day, whether that's through offering something like a mental health stipend as part of your benefits and overall compensation. If you think about it from that perspective, that's really where people ops starts. Correct, because I believe that there is no one size fits all anymore. Because exactly as I said in the past, it was all about like everybody got the same benefits package and everybody got the same support. But like when you think about employees today or talent in general, everybody has their unique story. 
Some might uh, kind of like need support. Like today, I talked to some co colleagues in Michigan. They have a snow day. Very hard for the kids are at home. Very hard for them to attend conference calls. Having somebody to support them uh, would be great. Other people have issues with their with their mental health. Being stuck at home for for two years, only talking to people at Zoom. There are ways that organizations can support these employees, and I think that going forward, you really need to understand what does your talent, what is the people in your organization, what do they really need to be successful? And I think today there's definitely room for, for improvement, but I think we're going to see more tailored and customized benefits packages going forward because that's going to be a differentiator going forward. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing with user research is that you're supposed to figure out what your individual users need and want. You're supposed to figure out how that changes from area to area. So it is I think smart and you're going to come up with a, I hate every time I say better product on this show, it sounds so cheesy. You're going to come up with a better product by talking to more, a, a bigger variety of perspectives like that and actually putting in that effort. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the I'm a big fan of user stories. I mean, this they've been out for, for many, many years. I mean, we've been doing that in the industry for, for a while now, but I think really taking the time to build the unique user stories of a user in Germany, Spain, Italy, France, uh, wherever. And you're, if you go through that exercise, if you want to localize your product, you're going to learn interesting things. And I'm going to share kind of like one personal example here. So when I joined Kelly, I worked for a European company before, but when I joined Kelly, it was really hard for me to go on meetings and calls and do a lot of small talk. And that's what people from the United States, they talk about like sports results from the weekend, uh, like I hate Brady retiring, all that, all that yeah. stuff. <laughs> and then after like 10 minutes in the meeting, you're like, okay, so let's talk about the business. And um, in a lot of Northern European countries, and this also where, where I live, there's very little, hey, okay, did you find the office? Okay, okay, so let's jump right in. So there's very little small talk. And it's not kind of like aggressive. It's not unfriendly. It's just the way, kind of like how, how we are. But it's important to really understand these differences because it will help you to get a better baseline and a better communication with the stakeholder you're interacting with. I know I mentioned to you, you're going to love the book, No Rules Rules by the, the founder of Netflix, Reed Hastings, and also Aaron Meyer, who conducted research uh, throughout the company. And they talk specifically about that, you know, how meetings are conducted differently in different parts of Europe versus right. the United States. And reasons people thought other people were rude or lazy and small talk definitely came up in that, which is great. Okay. I want to bring us back a little bit to the changing employer and hiring landscape. Kelly has made some significant changes in response to this. And to make these changes possible, I know your team had to implement some new processes for the first time. So what have been some of the most substantial changes that Kelly's made over the last year? And how did your team arrive at those changes? I think one core thing, and it was not only Kelly, but everybody in the industry, but kind of like we focus a lot of supporting remote work because that's clearly a big differentiator. We have a massive uh, footprint, different offices, branches across the entire world. And from kind of like overnight, everything was closed. And now you needed to make sure that all your products that you're using internally also support the remote work um, environment that we were operating in. I think that was like the first thing that that we had to do. Almost, um, I didn't want to say I don't want to say crisis mode, but really making sure that overnight you can sustain your business operations and still deliver services, 
and solutions to your clients. I think that was that was critical. And we were lucky because we already had the technical infrastructure in place because with a lot of uh, in a lot of regions we actively re like support remote work. So it's not that we had to do something overnight. But the other thing that we learned is we realized that for a remote hiring um, and work environment a lot of the processes were not fast. So over the, like in the beginning of the pandemic and especially last year, we put a lot of focus on speed. How can we make sure we have the technology and the solutions in place? We buy new products from vendors, put it all together to make sure that our business is operating faster just because everything else on the market had accelerated as well. And I'm going to give you an example. In the beginning of the pandemic, um, we had a lot to do with customers who said, hey, kind of like business going down and need to furlough my employees. How can I make sure I stay in touch with them? So kind of like that was like the one, the one thing. A lot of organizations had to let people go. But on the other hand, there were customers who said, hey, can you help me? You need to hire 100,000 people. So all of a sudden, where kind of like a lot of traditional jobs kind of like went in hibernation mode, other jobs um, kind of like skyrocketed. And the question was always kind of like, how can we make sure that we fill these roles for customers and we put a lot of focus on speed? So now, kind of like 18 months later, you see the great resignation is coming in. The economy is bouncing back. A lot of people are actively exploring new jobs and they have options just because unemployment, especially in the US, at an all-time low. So now the focus on speed really, really helps us to bring people uh, kind of like into the door faster. I'm going to give you an example. We launched a product actually during the COVID time where we said, hey, we need to make we, we need to make sure we are able to accelerate the hiring process and to bypass traditional approaches where the candidate sends a resume and then you review it and then you get back a week later and so on and so on, or you never even get back what's also happening in a lot of organizations. But just because of there's such a fierce fight for talent, we needed to accelerate it. And we built a solution we call OCG Boost. It's basically a product that, that my team built where we enabled a text messaging support application process where candidates can fill out an easy application form uh, on their mobile phone. We have AI deployed to scan the responses of the candidate and then basically move that candidate further to be remotely interviewed. And then we extend an offer. So last week, and I wanted to share that example Kind of like we had a record where we had one candidate who texted the keyword uh, to a technology, which then triggered an automation, um, kind of like texted at seven in the morning and three hours, 41 minutes later, actually had a job offer extended. Um, That's crazy. And in between, the candidate was able to self-schedule their interview, jump on a video call with a recruiter, discuss everything that kind of like was necessary. He said, yeah, I want to have the job. The recruiter said, hey, I have that job open. You're a good fit. Obviously, now the person is going through onboarding, background screen, all that stuff. But three hours, 41 minutes is really something that, that my team was proud of because it really showcases that a lot of the traditional expectations we have in the consumer space are also applying today in the business space. Because if you order something online, you buy a pizza, whatever it is, you want to have real-time transparency, real-time visibility. And I think there's an operational or there's the opportunity also for, 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 for people operations to really apply the same logic and then bring products into the organization that enable these fast processes. I agree. And I, I think that the first question that always comes to mind when you talk about speed and hiring is, how do you ensure quality? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because when you think about how hiring was done traditionally, you would send a resume and then you would go into an office and a recruiter would do an interview and then you would have an interview with the hiring manager and probably have several rounds of interviews. But the thing today is that candidates have a lot of options, so they might not go through the same process. They might not be willing to go through the same process. So the question is always, what digital products are out there that allow you to speed up the hiring processes? So like you and I are talking today here, kind of like via the internet. And I think this is where kind of like the digital products that are out there that are available can really help you if you have a broader architecture and strategy in place, and you know which role they play in the overall process, because every organization is having a digital ecosystem. If they acknowledge it or not, you use different tools, and you should be using different tools. But the question is, how do they play together? What are the advantages they bring into the process? When is the time when probably you need to retire them, kind of like rip it out and replace it with, with something new? So it's always part of the broader strategy and the broader digital architecture. And that's what's uh, making organizations competitive. No matter if you're in people operations or if you're providing other services, every organization needs to constantly scan the market to see what are the products out there that really can help my core business to thrive. Yeah. And it's not like you're taking the human out of the process either. They're still very much a part of it. The recruiter is still interviewing the candidate. It's just happening a lot more efficiently as well. That's a good point. And I want to bring one example up because I'm a big fan of automation. And a lot of things, a lot of times people perceive that automating process steps will kind of like take jobs away. So we did a couple of workshops with with recruiters at Kelly. We came to them and said, hey, what are the process steps where technology can come over? Hey, we have some RPA products that we're applying to automate uh, business processes. And they were not negative at all. You would have thought that they would be very defensive. Oh, no, sorry, they were going to take my job away. But they said, hey, wow, finally you're here. We have so many administrative processes that kind of like, we need to conduct. And there's, we have so much bad technology. We want to talk to candidates. We need to sell the jobs. We need to find more talent for this organization. And I think this is where really the combination of human and technology is becoming a game changer and is becoming critical for every, every organization. When you talk about conducting these workshops with the recruiters who are actually going to be using these solutions... It sounds a lot like research, which is a huge part of product development, not something we actually get to talk a lot about on the show. So could you talk a little bit more about that research you conducted and um, what you learned and even the challenges behind conducting research, especially at such a fast pace? Right. So I think research is always <clears throat> always twofold. I mean, if you're going to market with a new product, you need to make sure you're, have, you're having quantitative research. You need to understand what market sizes are. You need to understand what buying behaviors are. And that's very, very high level. But this is something you need to do. What is more important today is really that qualitative research. So really getting in front of users, really getting in front of customers, really getting in front of all kinds of different stakeholders to get their unique perspective. Before the pandemic, it was easy. You would bring people into a room, you would work with with an agency who would have focus groups and then get feedback on specific product features. You would kind of like... uh, put in front of them. But what we really did during the pandemic was really focus on on online collaboration. And what we learned with the right tools and with the right products in place, 
you can have a lot of meaningful conversations uh, with all the different stakeholders, even while working remotely. And that makes it much, much cheaper and even affordable for young startups who have like a new idea that they want to go go to market with. So as I said earlier, combination of kind of like quantitative research as the baseline and then qualitative research to really dig deeper into it. But the core thing for me is the user feedback. I'm a big fan of Lean Startup. Uh, build something, even if it's a crude, uh, crude prototype of your product in build of Lego blocks, whatever it is, go out, find people, get feedback, and then iterate. Iterate often and get that constant, constant feedback because I see that very often. Um, there are so many great ideas, but they're just executed purely. So I want to make sure that we get the voice of the user early in the process, really understands what drives them, what's their story, what's the expectation from a journey perspective, because that's eventually going to create higher buy-in. Okay, so looking ahead, what are your goals for Kelly's continued digital transformation? Where do you see the company a decade from now? Awesome question, and it's always hard to predict what the what the future brings, but um, I'd be happy if Kelly Services celebrates their 85th birthday, uh, like in 10 years. So we're still on the market, which is not a given in any uh, like kind of environment today. But that we truly embrace the digital transformation and accept it as a never-ending exercise. Everybody thinks that the digital transformation is just an exercise, just another change management project. And then once this is over, we can all go back to normal. But Kind of like the way digital works and the way the digital attackers operate, when you look at the big companies out there, especially out of, kind of like the U.S. Silicon Valley, but also China um, and Western Europe, um, they never stand still. So as an organization, we, in every organization, we need to be comfortable feeling uncomfortable. That sounds weird, but I think that's what it is because we're always thinking about the good old times. Everything was was easier and calmer, and it's not. So 10 years from now, um, I would like to see Kelly Services being a organization that fully embraced the digital transformation that is leading the digital charge in the industry. And that is a good employer that takes good care of talent we, we work with and just make sure that we all stay like healthy in this crazy time and that we have the ability for everybody in the organization to grow and have a meaningful career. I completely agree about digital transformation. You're right. It's not a one-time thing. It's it's a yes. new way of thinking. Uh, it's funny to think about, you know, asking where you're going to be in 10 years. Who could have imagined if you asked that like 10 years ago? You know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> who knew? Exactly, exactly, it's, exactly. it's a lifetime in in the product world, in the world we're yep. in, especially in the world of startups, which I know that while you work for a global enterprise company, you also have experience uh, in startups. You have a background leading your own startup. Today, you continue to mentor HR startups. What do you bring from this to your work at Kelly? So we work a lot with startups. I work a lot with startups. And I'm always more like a translator. Because whenever we have a young company that's coming to me and says, hey, we have this great idea, I can tell them, well, this is awesome. I really like it, but we need to be careful. So I need to protect a lot of my partners because otherwise the corporate world is going to swallow them. A lot of organizations, young organizations and startups are just not used to the decision-making speed, which very, very often in older organizations is a bit kind of like slower than with startups. They are overwhelmed with all the requirements. 
you might have um, as an organization, data security, uh, data privacy, all these boxes that need to get checked. And my role is really making sure that the partners we're working with understand what is expected. But at the same time, I also use the experience to really kind of like make sure that I can accelerate processes internally. But just saying, hey, this is something, there's a work workaround. We can do things differently. We've done it in the startup world. Um, and then the other thing, what we're doing right now is we built the Kelly X Digital Innovation Lab, really applying that protected space that allows my team to work almost like a startup, obviously without with having the luxury of being part of a big global Fortune 500 organization, but really making sure that we can operate like things much faster than a traditional uh, kind of like corporate corporate way. And I think this is like the thing where kind of like sometimes it's hard to kind of like wander in both worlds. But I think it's important to really make sure that startups and corporations continue to talk to each other and understand each other because there's like a lot of cross-pollination that's that's possible. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to really tap into these, these great smart people that are out there that intentionally don't want to join a large corporation because they say, hey, I don't want that nine to five job. I want to build something. I want to be creative. I don't want to fill out a form. And I think we too need each other. I think that's an important uh, important thing that, that I learned over the past. And this is where like, the different experiences I had over the time definitely helped me to be also credible in front of like the startup community. Oh, of course. Yeah, because I know the startup community doesn't always trust you know, big enterprise, <laughs> but it, it sounds like, and I've heard this before with other innovation labs that I've talked to that they do feel like they are a startup operating within an enterprise company, which gives them a, a lot of freedom. But also sometimes I know you probably still have to play by enterprise rules. So like in the startup world, taking these business risks is necessary to secure funding, to grow, to test things out. But obviously, well-established multinational companies like Kelly overall tend to be more risk averse. So how does Kelly then balance its need to take risks and innovate with this digital transformation lab in-house with the need for stability and for longevity? Yeah, I think the important thing is really, really divide the two. I think that's an important thing that I personally learned also across the entire span of my of my career. If you just like build something new and then apply the entire corporate um, procedures to it, you're you're gonna fail. Because if then the controller comes in and says, hey, you need to have X percent growth month over month and you need to achieve this budget and you're gonna you're gonna crush it. So I don't want to say that you need to be able to and be willing to sink money because that's what it's not all about, but there is going to be failure. And I think organizations like Kelly that intentionally invest in these innovation labs, they accept that. They know that not every idea will become a big hit, will make a massive difference on the uh, kind of like top line and of the bottom line of the corporation, but kind of like one out of five probably will. And I think this is the thing where kind of like we need to balance both both worlds here, because if you just throw a new idea into the existing operating model and the existing organization, it's going to get crushed. So this is why that protected space is so important, where kind of like you're divided. Even, and you kind of touched on this, even if you were innovative at your inception, or even if you were innovative 20 years in, you may not be 40 or 60. And if you don't continue to innovate, someone's going to, and then you're going to be in trouble. I always... Um, like some, I had a realization at some point in time. Traditional organizations, when you think, it, when you take a look at the C-suite, so 
you have people in traditional organizations who have been with their company 20 years, 25, 30 years. And then at some point in time, they made it to the top and they're becoming the CEO or senior vice president. And I'm like, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, okay. So how do you, how do you kind of like grow in these traditional organizations? You follow the rule, you do what's expected, you perform, you perform well, but you're generally a follower um, and you're not really coloring outside of the line. So now you're the CEO and all of a sudden everybody says like, wow, now he needs to shake things up. Now he, need to, or he needs to do things completely different. And I think this is not what's happening in a lot of organizations. Like having somebody who followed the rules for 20 years was very, very good, delivered well within the frame of the organization. But now, once you're on top, you need to shake things up. That's never going to work. And I think this is why you need to have some, some, some uh, kind of like wilder approaches, have these innovation labs to really challenge the, the assumptions and challenge the status quo. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product Community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget The Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.